This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey there. We at Blue Wire wanted to thank you for your continued support of this podcast. With over 90 podcasts across our network, we are committed to bringing you great content to fill that sport-shaped hole in your heart. To find more Blue Wire pods, search for us on iTunes or check out bluewirepods.com. And remember, one day sports will return and it will be glorious. Thanks for listening. On to the show. It's a dream come true, man, to have this opportunity. The biggest thing for me right now is just being able to, to take it in, soak it in, enjoy it with my family, and, and get to work. Tungabaloa surveying the field, fires end zone, touchdown! To uh, looks that way to him, and now goes down the middle for the home run. The fourth touchdown of the day! Holy smokes! Tungabaloa, oh, what a fake and touchdown, Alabama! Tungabaloa, what a rope he throws, and it's a touchdown! It's to a time, Dolphins fans. The Miami Dolphins have thrown their chips into the center. They've gone all in on Alabama quarterback Tua Tagovailoa. We're going to discuss the Tua pick and all the other Dolphins draft picks here on this special episode of Fin It to Win It, presented by the Blue Wire Podcast Network and Bet Online. I'm Riley Bradshaw, joined by my co-host Mason Englehart. Mason, this is going to go down as a historic draft for many reasons, but for the Dolphins specifically, it's going to be remembered, hopefully in a positive way, as the first draft in a long time. I mean, Mason, if you think about it, going back, I can't remember the last time the Dolphins were the focal point. I mean, definitely one of the most talked about teams in the NFL draft. Yeah, Riley, 1967, you have to go all the way back to when the Dolphins selected a top five quarterback in Greasy when they picked him. And I absolutely love your comparison to putting all the chips into poker because we talked about it on our draft preview show, how the Dolphins were essentially playing poker. They weren't giving much away. They were sending all these signals to all the teams surrounding in the league. What were they going to do? We didn't know what they were going to do. We talked about it. We said, are they going to take a quarterback? Will they even do the unthinkable about moving up and taking an offensive lineman? With the third pick, if they moved up to number three, we we both so kind many of smoke screens were out there. So the, many smoke there screens, so many. so you didn't there know what so to many. believe. <laughs> no, but but one thing we do know is exactly what you said. This will go down as one of the most historic drafts in Dolphins history. Hopefully, on a positive note, because to get a top five quarterback, something they haven't done for decades, is a really big deal for this organization. And one thing we're going to talk about in today's show is draft recap. And the fact that we really got a good sense of what Brian Flores and company is looking for in draft prospects. There's two key words I'm going to say today, Riley. 
I'm going to be saying this word a lot, the word versatility or being versatile, because that's what they're looking for in their draft picks, players that can play different positions. And also, I hate to say this, but the word project. The Dolphins drafted a lot of projects this year. So that's two words I'm going to say a lot of. Yeah, so I think a great way to put this into context for fans, and Dolphins fans already know this, but I was on Facebook the other day, Mason, and in the official Miami Dolphins Facebook group, uh, Rick Morgan, a fan, posted in the group, his post said, I'm ready to add a new jersey. Please let this be the last (laughs) one for a while. And it's a picture, and I kid you not, Mason, his entire bed is covered with basically a jersey of every quarterback since Dan Marino. I mean, he has Pat White, Dante Culpepper, Sage Rosen. Like, he's got them all, man. And it takes up his entire bed. So that really puts into context just how long it's been since the Dolphins have had a guy that you can look at and be like, this is our future. This is our franchise. I know Tannehill, he teetered on that line at times, but it isn't the same. It just is not. And Tua, it is a top five pick. And you mentioned since 67 the Dolphins have invested a top five pick in a quarterback. I mean, the last time we had a number one pick, we picked an offensive tackle in Jake Long. Great player, but definitely doesn't come with the same type of hype as taking a quarterback with your top five pick. And that quarterback being Tua. And and I like the word hype. That's a key word in this because a lot of times when the Dolphins have had these high first round picks or they've had these top five top 10 picks they haven't gone with the player that's going to generate the amount of hype that Tua is obviously with Tua's medical reports with his injury history there's going to be some concerns but just on the sheer amount of hype that drafting him is going to just reinvigorate this fan base really get them excited for Miami Dolphins football and I know we're not to this point yet in the show but it's really interesting to see how the Dolphins, what they did after they took this first pick in Tua, and how they pretty much tried to build this wall around him to protect him for years to come. Oh, there was a clear strategy here. Get your franchise quarterback and build in the trenches. Protect your major investment. So we know, I think we kind of got a sense throughout this draft what was going through Chris Greer's mind and what was going through Brian Flores' mind. So we're going to go through all of the picks here. And I think before we get into that, um, just want everyone to know that we have launched our social media accounts. Follow us at Finit to Win It. We're on Twitter and Facebook. We just got those going, so we would appreciate a follow. You can interact with us on there, and there's going to be some bonus content as well. So we're at Finit to Win It on Twitter and Facebook. Mason, let's go ahead and get into it. Let's break down two a little bit. And I think the biggest thing you need to start with here is the fact that they didn't need to move up to get him. There were so many rumors, you know, going into the draft. That number three pick, the Detroit Lions, they wanted out. They wanted to, you know, accrue some more assets in the draft. And rumors were that there were multiple teams interested, the Dolphins being one of them. But the fact that the Dolphins were able to sit there and think about all the pressure that was probably on Chris Greer, hearing all of these rumors, you know, do I need to go up to get my guy? Do we sit back and potentially miss out? on the quarterback that we want. But he, to his credit, he stood pat and Tua fell to them at five. And I thought right off the bat, that's a huge, massive win there. Yeah, and it's interesting to hear the news that came out today from the Chargers GM who essentially said, you know, we were fine with both quarterbacks, Tua 
or Herbert, whichever one falls to us at six, we're good with. He didn't mention at all about them trading up. And, you know, there could have been some talks on trading up and trying to leap the Dolphins, but it sounded like the Chargers were really content on just kind of taking whatever scraps Miami didn't take with um, the second overall quarterback, getting that third guy off the board. So that was really interesting to hear that from him. He was fine with either quarterback, but I do applaud the Dolphins. They sent out a ton of smoke screens. They sent out a ton of signals, a lot of rumors to really try to trick these teams that were behind them, thinking that maybe Miami might not take that quarterback in Tua. Obviously with Tua, Everybody knows his history, winning the national championship, coming after halftime to do that. I like, obviously, like a lot of people do, the prospect of how he can become a franchise quarterback to this team. He's going to have time to adjust. He's going to have time to get up to speed. Having Fitzpatrick, a proven veteran right now, as a starting quarterback, is huge right now for this team. There is no reason we have to put Tua week one of the NFL season. This is year two in Flores's building project. It's going to take three or four years before his plan actually comes together. We saw the way they drafted, loading up the trenches, offensive linemen, defensive linemen. We'll talk about those picks as we kind of go through each pick. But as far as the first pick goes for number five with Tua, I really like the ability for him to get caught up with the offense, to learn from veterans. So when he does come into play, he's not going to be a novice. He's not going to be scared out there. He's going to feel comfortable. And that is the key to me for this pick. This is not a pick where I see, oh yeah, Tua has to be the week one starter. I would feel much comfortable right now if you told me that Tua is going to come in week eight, week 10, or even this Riley, I would be fine. And I want to hear your opinion on this. I would be fine if Tua doesn't even play much of next year at all. If he rides the bench, if he absorbs, if he learns, if he gives all of these, I'm going to say this word, if he gives all of these projects who are going to be playing in the offensive line time to get accustomed to the NFL, I'm totally fine with that. Your thoughts on that, though? There's a couple different pieces to it, Mason, because like you said, and we're going to talk about it throughout the course of this discussion going through these draft picks, you know, they, they're bringing in a lot of new faces to the offensive line. There's going to be a ton of competition to start at the offensive line for the Miami Dolphins. So it's going to be a lot of adjusting, a lot of chemistry building. So I'm not sure you want to put your most valuable asset in decades in Tua behind a line that's really going to be working on growing as a unit throughout the year. Now, if Tua is 100% healthy, whenever that day comes, I'm cool putting him in. Whether that's week five, week six, week seven, whatever of this year, or if it's next year, if it's 2021. The time doesn't matter to me. The fact that he's 100% healthy matters to me. Do not throw him in before your doctors are comfortable saying he's ready to go, he's 100%, throw him in there. Because to me, like you said, there's no rush. Um, There's a lot of pieces that kind of need to gel and grow together before you can really talk about extended playoff runs here for the Miami Dolphins. So there's no need at all with Fitzpatrick there, especially this year, to throw him under the fire in an offensive line that may not be ready Um, at its peak to protect him. I know the injury concerns, you know, they obviously, and I think it was unfair personally for Tua. I think it kind of got a little overhyped. I understand the dislocated hip, big time injury, and he'd had those two ankle injuries. Nothing to turn your head to. It's definitely something that you have to worry about. But if you're talking pure skill here, Mason, it was basically Tua, Joe Burrow, and everybody else. Like he is in a different class 
than Justin Herbert. And you could make a case based on talent, based on skill set, that he was the number one quarterback in this draft. And I agree with you, Riley. But one thing I think we're going to disagree on is this. If Tua is 100% healthy, but our offensive line and our playmakers on offense, or lack of playmakers, I should say, because the Dolphins did go, I believe, nine picks without taking an offensive skill player in this draft. And we'll get to that as we kind of go yeah, through. You're a little bitter, but aren't you? <laughs> I, I am a little bitter. We <laughs> talked about in our draft prep how I wanted a running back early, and the Dolphins passed on Swift. They passed on Dobbins. They kept passing on these offensive guys. They did get Brita, and we'll talk about that later when we get to about the fifth round. But my point is this. If the Dolphins' offensive line is not producing, if they're still what they have been uh, the last year or so, if Austin Jackson is having trouble getting situated, if Robert Hunt is not panning out, if these rookies are not really producing and our line is weak, even if two is 100%, I am in favor of sitting him as long as they need to. What I mean, what is the the positive of putting him in if Miami is three and seven, three and eight, and they're not producing on the field? Sure, it's going to be some NFL experience, but guess what? He can sit on the bench if he's 100% and he can wait until this team is ready for him. They need to give him a wall of linemen who are producing the NFL before they put him out there and he gets hurt when they're three and eight on a random play and we say, okay, we should have sat him. I know hindsight's 2020, but I think that's one thing we might disagree on. I say put him in when the time is right and when the team is right. Yeah, and I I don't think we totally disagree with each other there. Um, I think there's a lot of factors that go into play with this. Like the offensive line is a huge deal. But I think in terms of, I think kind of what I'm going for here is in terms of his skill set and his readiness to go into an NFL game, I think if there's no injury concerns there, he's much more ready than if we had drafted Justin Herbert, who is more of a project, a little more raw of a talent, probably not ready to see the field this year. I think Tua skill set wise is ready, but yeah, you're right. There's there's factors that you have to consider. I mean, if Fitzpatrick is running for his life back there for the first six weeks, you're not going to throw Tua in there with all of the concerns that he has. But I want to talk about some of the pros with Tua because I'm so sick and tired of hearing all the negatives about his injuries. When you look at Tua as a quarterback, and the fit with the Miami Dolphins, bringing in Chan Gailey. Chan Gailey was kind of ahead of the curve when it came to RPO game, the run-pass option. He uses it in a lot of the offense that he's been in in the past. Tua basically mastered the RPO game while at Alabama. He oozes leadership. I mean, he has all of the qualities that you want in a franchise quarterback. I mean, Brian Flores talked about it. Every time he talked about a quarterback, he basically was describing Tua. So I'm, I, that's why the whole time I was like, I just don't see it, man. Unless someone jumps the Dolphins, I don't see why they don't take Tua unless they are petrified of his injury concerns. Because if you put those aside, between him and Herbert, it's not even close. Or even Jordan Love. He has pinpoint accuracy. He has beautiful touch on the ball. He, you know, he doesn't have the strongest arm. But neither does Joe Burrow. But the touch that he can put on his throws, um, the change in velocity, kind of like a pitcher going from his fastball to his changeup. I mean, there's so many positive qualities that Tua brings to the table. His pocket presence. So even if he does come in and the offensive line is struggling a little bit, his pocket presence is one of the strong points of his game, feeling the pressure, able to escape it. Now, the big problem with him is, and it kind of correlates with his injury concerns, is I feel like he... Well, his size and he trusts his skills a little bit too much, I think, where he holds onto the ball too long, looking for that big play where he needs to just throw it out of bounds, 
um, throw it into the flats, live to play another day. And I think that's, that's something that can easily be instilled in him uh, when he's running this offense. Getting the ball out of his hands, I think that's what the Dolphins are going to try to do overall with this offense, whether they had to or not. I mean, they're going to rely heavily on the running game. I mean, they got bruisers, road graders in this draft. So if you're excited about one thing, I don't think Fitzpatrick's going to be the Dolphins' leading rusher this year. I'm going to go out on a limb there, Mason, <laughs> and say that. Well, I, eh, I don't know. Have you seen the Dolphins' running backs besides, besides Matt Breida? <laughs> I'm, I'm a big Jordan Howard fan. I mean, you know, he's not one of the top 10 running backs in the league, but I think he's a serviceable running back. And then you bring in Breida. I think that's a great one-two punch um, considering what you had last year. Um, so I think they did make some upgrades there. But I think in terms of the pass game, you're not going to see a lot of these five, seven-step drops. You're going to see a lot of RPO, especially if Tua does come in. Get the ball out of his hands quickly. Get guys like Albert Wilson in space. Devontae Parker, I've read that his favorite uh, route in the world is running a slant. Well, that's perfect with the RPO. There you go, man. Have a field day. (laughs) Just get the ball out of Tua's hands quickly. Let him read the defense read the run pass option and get the ball out of his hands. And I I agree with everything you've said, Riley. The reason I said size is because it is something to look at with the injuries. Now I'm not one of those um, fans and quarterback gurus who say, Oh, you have to be a six, four, six, five quarterback to succeed in the NFL. Those days are long gone. Those days days are long gone. gone. I agree hundred percent. When I see Tua, I think of a left-handed Russell Wilson. And I know a lot of people have compared him to Russell Wilson. That's what I see in him. Great decision maker. Even though you said he doesn't have the arm strength, he still throws a great deep ball. And in the NFL, you have to be able to do that to succeed. He's mobile to a certain degree, but he knows when to slide. He knows when to get out of bounds. He's not a reckless runner with the football. And once again, I can't say this enough. He's going to have time to adjust We have a journeyman quarterback, but it's somebody who is familiar with this offense and who also, let's be honest, this is a big deal. Fitzpatrick is a great player in the locker room. He's going to be a great mentor to Tua. He's not someone who's, who's, you know, like a Jay Cutler or who's someone who could be a little more standoffish. He is somebody who's going to connect with him and be able to teach him some things. Or even a situation, Mason, like, in Green Bay when Aaron Rodgers came in and Brett Favre was there. Sure. You know, there's not that that underlying hostility where this guy's coming in to take my job. This is, you know, I've been the quarterback here for X amount of years. Like Fitzpatrick, you know, he was the quarterback last year, but it's not like he has extensive ties to the team. I think he kind of knows his situation and his yep. role there. And it's going to be interesting, you know, having Jordan Love come into that Green Bay situation, him and Aaron Rodgers. Tua doesn't have to deal with that. Fitzpatrick is not going to, you know, bring any type of attitude towards Tua where, oh, you're coming in to steal my job. I think Fitzpatrick is smart enough coming from Harvard to know the situation here. Tua is the quarterback of the future for this team. It's the perfect scenario. Really, it is. When you have a rookie quarterback who is going to be the franchise of this team and he's going to be the face of the team to come in a situation where there's a quarterback already in place who is not a star, who is not Peyton Manning, who is not Brett Favre, who is someone who knows their role and they know what they need to do to make this team better, it's going to make things better. So to summarize, Riley, I would go out on a limb to say we're both very happy with this pick, very happy the Dolphins went with the direction of number five, correct? Oh, absolutely. Home run pick. I think there was no other way you could go. They kept their picks. They got their guy. I mean, right off the bat, like I said at the beginning when we started talking about this, Right there is a win. The fact that you didn't have to trade up to get him and he still fell to you. Absolute win. 
for the Miami Dolphins. So let's go ahead and move to the second pick. We got three picks in the first round. So let's move to the second pick here. And this is kind of where, and I talked about this, Mason, in our uh, pre-draft show where we were previewing the draft. My concern with this pick, because the Dolphins clearly needed an offensive tackle. But sitting at 18, they were kind of in that weird twilight zone type of area where the top four guys, I mean, you're talking about Mekhi Becton, Tristan Wirfs, Jedrick Wills, and Andrew Thomas, the top four consensus tackles, those plug-and-play tackles in this draft. I think we all knew it was very unlikely that one of them was going to fall all the way to 18. So there were rumors swirling leading up to the draft, which I was in favor of making this move. It didn't actually happen, obviously. But the Dolphins looking to trade up from 18 to grab one of those tackles. And I really thought it was going to happen because Tristan Wirfs, who was my second favorite, possibly my first, it was right there between him and Jedrick Wills as my top tackle in the draft. He was sitting there at 13. He had fallen. And the 49ers were looking to trade back, and they did, but they swapped picks with the Buccaneers, who we knew was we knew if the 49ers had made that pick, he was not falling past the Buccaneers. They needed to protect Tom Brady. He was the last tackle on the board of that tier one. So we knew unless we jumped up, we weren't going to get him. I get why you take Austin Jackson here. He's a player with a ton of upside, maybe the most upside of any tackle in the draft. But he's a raw talent. He needs a lot of work. And you mentioned it earlier. He's one of the couple players that they took in this draft that is a project. So I, I, I like. I don't mind the pick. I don't mind the player. But I'm just, you know, sitting at 18, I felt like there were a couple different ways they could go, and maybe Austin Jackson would have been there at 26. Yeah, to go a little bit further with you, with what you mentioned with the trading up in the first round, we both agreed that it would be best if the Dolphins got somewhere in that top 10. They could take one of the tackles, one of the linemen that would be – little bit less of a project than Austin Jackson. But I think what Brian Flores sees is he sees a tackle that showed great speed in college, has great length, so he's got the measurables, but also someone who played at a big school like USC and had 40 starts there. 40 starts. He's got a lot of playing time. He's got a lot of experience. And Flores is going to look at that, and he's going to say, I can coach this guy up. I can make him ready to battle Julian Davenport at left tackle or possibly at least be a plug and play tackle to start the year and get familiar with the Dolphins schemes in the offense to be an overall starter and to be someone who can really lead this team. The Dolphins did a great job, like you mentioned, of getting these bruisers, getting these really, really big offensive uh, tackles and guards and linemen to really build this wall around their future quarterback in Tua. I agree there it's going to be a big project for Austin Jackson. Was it too high to take him at 18? I don't know. That that's something we're going to have to figure out as the I years mean, go on. If he's your guy, he's your guy, you know. If they were, yep. you know, at that point looking at their board, if he they liked him that much more than everyone else then take him. I mean, if you didn't think he was going to make it to 26 and you liked him a lot better than some other guys still on the board, then take him. If you feel like you can work him up to make him a plug and play type of starter, but it's funny you mentioned USC because you know who he reminds me of, at least build-wise, is Tyron Smith, the tackle out of USC, left mm. tackle for the Cowboys now, who's one of the best tackles in the league. But they're very similar in size. Uh, Austin Jackson, 6'6", 3'10". Smith is right around there, but they're more of the athletic type of tackle. That guy, if they get to that second level, they're very effective in the screen game. 
It's just the technique that he needs to work on. He needs to polish that up. But the physical tools are there, no question about it. I mean, in terms of talent, he's definitely a first-round talent. It's just he wasn't as polished and as ready to plug in as some of these other tackles that are off the board. But he was the guy that was there. They took him. They kept their draft pick, so you can't complain about that. Um, I would have liked to see them move up for one of these other tackles, but if he's your guy, he's your guy, and at least you got him at 18 and you didn't have to – you know, give up any of your other assets to get them. I agree. All right. So let's go ahead and move to their third pick. And this is where things kind of got crazy. <laughs> so they come up at 26, they trade back, which I loved because we talked about how too. they went, they went that span with, you know, I think they went 70 picks without a draft. So I like the fact that they traded back just four spots with the Packers who came up and got Jordan love. They trade back to 30 and they draft a cornerback out of Auburn, Noah Ingbignagene. Mason, <laughs> I was a little shocked, to be honest. I had to go back and watch some film on this guy because I didn't do much research on the cornerbacks, especially this high in the draft going in, knowing that we have the two highest paid cornerbacks in the league. Threw me for a little bit of a loop, but if you kind of look at it, Mason, you know, there were some safeties on the board that I thought were were the target here, Xavier McKinney, Grant Delpit, maybe one of those guys, but they addressed the secondary. They just addressed it in a different way than I think me or a lot of other people thought they were going to address it. When they traded back, I got so excited. The fact that they were going to, you thought your running back was coming here. (laughs) I thought my running back was coming late in the draft uh, at 30 in the first round. I said, this is perfect. They're going to end this first round totally going offensive strategy. I love it. And then they throw the curveball. They get the cornerback. But honestly, you know, this is one of those picks that's going to really fall in line with the word project. It's going to be somebody who they're going to be putting as in the nickel formations. He's not going to, he's, he's going to have his role on the team. And honestly, it may start off where he's just playing special teams. This is going to be the project to where if Xavier Howard things go south with him, they can possibly groom him for a starting position. The talent is there with the track star parents, his his ability to have that speed, but there's going to be a lot of things he needs to work on, especially with struggling to maintain his body position. If you look at his tape, if you read about his, his draft information, I agree. I did not really do a lot of research on him either because I expected the Dolphins to go a different direction late in the first round. I, I expected them more to get another – offensive tackle or another lineman then go db at this spot but he is someone who does have to win the line of scrimmage there's a lot of times where his athleticism in college helped him out a lot but in the nfl it is a different beast you're working with much faster players so you can't just assume that your speed's going to help you out in that situation but here's a good thing brian flores loves to play man-to-man on defense and this is what type of a db he is so I'm hoping he kind of fits into that in the Dolphins' defense, and he kind of finds his niche early on. He's he's an alpha, Mason. He's one of those DBs, those cornerbacks. That's I'm going to line up right across from you, and we're going at it one-on-one. And the more and more, so like when they made the pick, I was like, really? Head-scratcher a little bit to me. But you know, the more I looked into it, the more film I saw in him, I'm like, this makes a ton of sense. Because if you kind of look, you kind of alluded to it here, physical off the ball. You mentioned his background with his parents running track. He ran a 4-3, uh, 40, so he's a burner. He's a special teams contributor. He had averaged 27 and a half yards per kick return while at Auburn. Great recovery speed, highly competitive. I mean, this 
kind of, you know, sounds like a Brian Flores guy, doesn't he? <laughs> exactly what Brian Flores looks for in his cornerback. So while I thought they were going to go safety here to move Bobby McCain back to the nickel, where I think he's more of a natural DB, now I think they're going to be keeping McCain at the safety position and putting Igbenagane in the nickel here. So that's going to be a formidable cornerback um, trio there. And the secondary shores up. I know a lot of people give McCain a hard time, but I thought his play got better towards the end of last year. Obviously, Flores and Greer are confident enough in him moving forward. I know they drafted another safety later in this draft, but I think it's McCain's job to lose going into the year. So I think that they have confidence here, and they felt, we're going to take this guy. Yeah, he's a project, but damn, Mason, if you've only played football for two years and you get drafted in the first round of the NFL draft, you are a stud. (laughs) Hey, go and get your guy. I put the word project in capital letters in my notes because this is one of those that is like, this is going to be Brian Flores' guy. This is going to be one of the pet projects for the next year or two. Can they get this guy ready? But to start off the year, having such talent around that secondary is really going to help him transition exactly. to, the, to the NFL. That's the big thing in this pick. I like it a lot because of what we already have. Would I have liked uh, DeAndre Swift or another <laughs> offensive playmaker? I'm not going to lie. Yes, I would have. And we're going to get to that as we you're get just, the draft. You're just going to have to get over this at some point, I'm, man. <laughs> Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. But, uh, you know, Riley, we talked about it last episode, but I I am somewhat of a degenerate gambler. I I love to just gamble on things. And a lot of people would think with no NFL, with no NBA, with no MLB, NHL, any major sports going on right now, you might think there's nothing to bet on. Well, you'd be wrong. Our exclusive partner, Bet Online, they still have hundreds of events, games, and props to wager on, from their online casino to poker and blackjack. They're bringing Vegas to you. I mentioned that I love looking at those Madden simulations. It's an awesome way to still stay connected in NFL, and they're actually a lot of fun to bet on too. So if you're missing the NFL, there's no problem. Bet Online has live daily Madden NFL 20 simulations you can bet on. You can still bet on Survivor, Big Brother, American Idol. You love those shows. Stock prices and even the Nathan's Hot Dog Eating Contest. I don't know with everything going on how they're going to do the uh, Nathan's Hot Dog Eating Contest. I guess they're going to have glass in between each person eating. (laughs) Who knows? But BetOnline open 24 hours a day and it's all online. So go to BetOnline.a.g and use the promo code BLUEWIRE. That's BLUEWIRE to join today and receive your new welcome bonus. Bet online is your online wagering solution. I'm more of the voice guy myself, but I digress. So let's go on to day two of the draft, Mason. Let's and this is, this is, I think, the most controversial day of picks. I think after it's, this it's day, Dolphins fans, well, yeah. Dolphins fans were getting a little antsy here because I think a lot of Dolphins fans were feeling how you were feeling. Okay, you passed on a running back at 30. But we have the 39th pick coming up. You know, we have the 56th pick coming up. So those are definitely spots that we're going to be taking a running back. It did not materialize, and we'll talk about that in a minute, but they spend their 39th pick. They reinvest again in the offensive line in Robert Hunt, guard out of Louisiana Lafayette. Mason, I love this pick. <laughs> I Riley, this dude is a Riley. mauler. You talk about a hoss, 6'5", 323 or so pounds. He's got a 6'10 wingspan, 11-inch hands. That's huge hands. He is a people mover. He's going to get a great shot to play probably right guard. He'll 
battle Michael Dieter in camp for that position. But I absolutely love this pick. I really do. This is one of my favorite picks of the entire draft, possibly maybe my second favorite pick behind Tua. He had the second lowest pressure percentage allowed of 380 offensive tackles that is tracked by pro football focus. You have to love that. I love his energy. When they talked to him after the draft, he had a lot of great things to say. He's got a lot to prove. So this was one of my favorite picks of the draft. According to Pro Football Focus, he allowed five quarterback pressures in 574 pass block opportunities. Didn't miss a single block in 216 rushes. He did have a little bit of an injury history. His final year at Louisiana Lafayette for the Raging Cajuns, one of my favorite nicknames in all of college sports, the Raging Cajuns. Um, and you are, are a little concerned, Mason, about the level of competition playing in the Sun Belt when you have a player coming out of one of those not top tier conferences. But the I'm Sun not really. Belt, the Sun Belt is a good conference, though. I'll tell you what, th- those days I think are behind us. 20 years ago or so, I think that's a great argument. But now with the amount of teams that are competing with these power five schools. I don't think that's an argument anymore. We can really make. Well, I'm an old school guy, Mason, so I'm going to make it. (laughs) That's true. That's true. (laughs) He needs to improve on his footwork a little bit, especially in pass protection. But the dolphins are saying Mason that they're going to go into camp and he's a versatile guy, kind of like a Brian Flores guy. There you go. Another example of versatility in this draft class. He spent most of his time at guard, but he did play some at tackle at Louisiana Lafayette, and the Dolphins are going to give him every opportunity to compete for that other tackle spot. Now, I think me and most analysts, most even most fans think that he's going to be more of a natural fit at the guard position. Um, I'm not sure that he has the quickness to be able to play out on the edge when you go up against those speed pass rushers. But regardless, this guy, I said at the beginning, mauler, nasty. Those are the words that have been described when talking about Robert Hunt. I mean, when I looked up cons of this guy... The first thing is he's too aggressive at times. Okay. I love it. I'll take that as long it. as it's not as long as it's not dumb personal foul penalty aggressive. But we need those type of guys on the line. Guys that are going to go in there and take pride in protecting their quarterback, take pride in how many uh, yards per carry their running backs are averaging. This is I the forget- type of guy you bring in to bring physicality to the offensive line. I forget what the exact quote was, but it was a great one. I don't know if you remember it, but he was saying to reporters after the draft, after he got picked, about how football, you can be as aggressive as you want on the field and not get in trouble for it. (laughs) I I think that's a great mentality, and you're right. We need players like that in our locker room. We need guys who are going to be tough, who are going to be – throwing those defensive linemen off our quarterbacks when they when they sack them which you know is probably going to happen a lot next year still with a young line but the point is this i think we both really like this pick because not only the potential but the size of hunt and also just the fact that he's really had a very illustrious solid college career whether it's playing for the raging cajuns or not he's still produced when he was on the field if he can stay healthy i think this is a great pick So let's go ahead and move on to their next pick in the second round. This is where things kind of get a little dicey, Mason. And this is where I think a lot of fans got got a little upset because all of the top running backs are starting to go off the board here. There's one left, and it happened to be my favorite running back of the entire class, J.K. My second favorite. Yep, my second favorite. And I I felt fantastic going into that pick. I said, you know what? Dobbins could slide down. We get that offensive playmaker. And those damn Ravens, Mason. (laughs) And of course, our Achilles tendon. No, not the Patriots. No, not a division team, but the team that we have struggled against consistently for, oh Lord, for a long time. 
The Ravens pick him one pick before us. And the Ravens actually got another player later in this draft we'll talk about who I really, really wanted the Dolphins to get. But yes, when the Ravens drafted Dobbins one pick before us, it it, it broke my heart. I was so I was feeling so good about getting him with this second round pick. And then bam. Yep. Those damn Ravens. <laughs> They're like the bully that just keeps taking our lunch. <laughs> But Riley, how do you feel though about their pick at 56 with uh, Requan Davis, uh, Alabama defensive lineman? I'll I'll go through the stats real quick, and then okay. I want to hear your opinion. So, the big thing with him was the last three years he digressed essentially in every statistical category for a defensive lineman. I'm not saying stats are everything, but it is telling when you look from 2017 to 2019. His tackles went from. 69, 55, and 47. Okay. His tackles for loss, 10 and a half, five and a half to three. All right. That's bigger uh, jump. And then finally, sacks. 2017, he had eight and a half. Very solid. Then from 2018 to 2019, he goes from one and a half to just a half a sack in 2019. His statistical categories dropped tremendously across the board. He did have a lot of reasons why this happened. How do you feel about this pick? So I wrote one name here, Mason, and I think this is the first pick where I'll play a little bit glass half empty. I wrote Jordan Phillips, question mark. Yeah. Are we looking at another Jordan Phillips situation here? A guy that has all of the talent in the world. He's like your prototypical in terms of his size, in terms of his length for a premier defensive tackle. He'll plug the hole nicely. He has a massive wingspan, clogs up the running lanes. But are we looking at a guy here? I mean, yes, his productivity was great in 2017. First team all SEC. But I'm concerned the fact that there's been such a digression every year in a defense where you have nothing but playmakers around you. I mean, when you play at Alabama, I mean, you should be able to have one-on-ones all the time because the guy next to you is a first, a future first-round draft pick too. The linebacker behind you is a first or second-round draft pick. You have nothing but studs around you. So it is concerning that we saw such a decrease in production. I mean, you're trying to find a reason. Why is this production decreasing every year? And I can't find it. If you're a fan and you're a believer in Brian Flores, you have to be a believer in this pick. I think he gave the biggest fist pump and emotion after this pick in the whole yeah. entire draft. So that shows something. He is believing in him as a project. Once again, the word project that he is going to get him back to that 2017 ability and they have faith in that. So with that being said, I am a believer in Brian Flores's plan and what he wants to do with this team. So I'm going to go ahead and on a limb and I'm going to say, even though I'm not a big fan of this pick for the fact they passed on Dobbins, they, well, they didn't, didn't address pass on Dobbins. Dobbins well, was you know, taken what I mean, from them. Well, they, they could have gotten Dobbins with with an earlier pick. They could have traded up. But anywho, you're right. Technically, he did get drafted one pick before him. Of course he did. But the fact that if you're a believer in Brian Flores, you have to somehow be a believer in this pick that he is going to pan out or at least he is going to show that motivation. Because I think a, you hit the nail on the head. A really good comparison of, the pick, of this pick is Jordan Phillips. Yeah, I think a lot of fans, what made them upset was – not that Raekwon Davis is a bad player because, you know, I wouldn't even use the word project for him. I would just use the word motivation, get him in the right situation because when he was productive, he was probably a top 10, top 20 pick if he had, you know, been eligible after the 2017 draft. 
I think, you know, you kind of mentioned it with all of the draft capital that we had, and we used it a lot on day three trading up for guys. I think we were expecting them to do that on day two, and they didn't do that. They stood pat, um, and they let players like J.K. Dobbins go off the board. It would have been interesting to see if J.K. Dobbins was on the board, what they would have done if they would have taken Dobbins or if they still would have gone this direction. But, you know, it is what it is. The Ravens took Dobbins. Raekwon Davis goes to the Dolphins, and it does add some depth to a defensive line after they released um, Gerald Wills a couple of weeks ago. He'll go nicely with Christian Wilkins, Emmanuel Ogba, Shaq Lawson, um, Godshaw on the defensive line. So I think it was a position of need to add depth to, but it is it was an interesting pick and one that I'm a little dicey on. I'm not really it's a wait and see for me. And speaking of dicey, the third round pick, they only had one lone third round pick. They take Brandon Jones at 70 from Texas safety. Um, he can really play both spots there, and he has some good stats over his career. Does have a little bit of injury concern, but you know, for a position that the Dolphins really do have a lot of depth on, I thought they they could have waited a little bit later in the draft to address safety since they really? didn't take one. I did, yes. Since they didn't take a safety early on the draft, I was expecting them to wait a little bit later in the draft. So to take uh, Brandon Jones in the third round. I'm not in love with this pick. I think he's going to be someone who's going to have to contribute a lot more on special teams to start his career. I don't think he's going to be a, a starter for, for this team next season either. Yeah, I think it's McCain's, like I mentioned earlier, I think it's McCain's job to lose. So it's not. it wasn't a deep safety class. I mean, after those top guys, I mentioned him earlier, Xavier McKinney, Grant Delpit, and then you go into that next tier, Antoine Winfield Jr., Ashton Davis. After those guys, I think there was a pretty big drop-off. And I was hoping that they would have grabbed one of those guys because I do think that safety was a position of need for him. And I was super high on Grant Delpit. I felt he was that Brian Flores type of player, a very physical in your face lapses in coverage sometimes, but he is that physical force that would have brought in loves to play in the box in the safety position. And Brandon Jones is kind of like that just on a lower level. I think you mentioned it, Mason. He does bring a little bit of versatility. Um, he could play special teams. He played a lot in the nickel at Texas, but I'm not sure he can do that at the NFL level because I think one of the big knocks on him is he has trouble sticking with receivers and man coverage, and he doesn't have that top-line speed that you really have have to have in the NFL to go up against these slot receivers. And he's a little undersized for his position, but he's he's another one of those guys. He was a captain at Texas. He was pretty productive, didn't create a lot of turnovers, but he did at times have a knack for the ball. Um, he he was kind of a playmaker. He just he had a lot of lapses in coverage, and that's concerning to me. Um, so Brandon Jones comes in safety, pick number 70, round three. He's another one of those guys. We'll see how it plays out, but I was kind of hoping that the Dolphins would have looked a little earlier in the draft for one of those top four safeties. So let's go ahead and move on. Before we get into that, we have a message from Blue Chew. Guys, are you looking to last longer? Go a few extra rounds, perhaps? Get to BlueChew.com right now, my man. BlueChew.com has the first ever chewable that brings your performance in the bedroom to that next level. They've got the same active ingredients that are in Viagra, Cialis, so you know they work. 60% of the time it works, every time. So you know it's good. <laughs> and since they're chewable, they work faster. You can take them anytime, day or night, even on a full stomach. Plus, you don't need to go to the doctor's office, spend time in the waiting line, in the pharmacy line. Blue Chew's online physicians. It's a free cost. 
Once approved, your order ships straight to your door in discreet packaging, so you don't have to worry about your neighbors snooping around. Here's a great deal for you guys. Visit BlueChew.com and get your first order free when you use the promo code BLUEWIRE. Just pay $5 shipping. That's it. Again, that's BlueChew.com. Use the code word BLUEWIRE. All right, so let's go to day three, Mason. So this is the day where a lot of moves were made, and I thought they really did well in terms of, I mean, they went into this draft with 14 draft picks, and I think everybody knew they weren't going to leave with 14 draft picks. That's just, that's absurd amount of players to bring in. They end up drafting 11, and they use a lot of those picks on guys in the third day here. So their first pick of the day, pick 111, round four, they traded up with the Texans. They used the fourth round pick, Um, They got in the trade with Green Bay from the first round to draft guard from Georgia, Solomon Kinley, another offensive lineman who I think is going to come in and compete for a starting job for that other guard spot. I think it's going to be him and Robert Hunt. And if you start looking here at the depth chart, Mason, there's going to be a ton of competition for the starting positions on the offensive line. I mean, you look here, you got Dieter, who you brought in last year. You bring in Robert Hunt. And then you also have on the line Ted Karras and then Eric Flowers, who you bring in in free agency. Eric Flowers is another one of those guys, started out as a tackle, was a disappointment, had kind of a reemergence, revitalizing year last year with the Redskins at the guard position. So I have a feeling Flowers is going to be one of your starting guards, and I think it's going to come down to Robert Hunt. Um, either if he plays tackle or gets kicked into guard is where you're going to see if Solomon Kinley is seeing playing time or not. But I think it's crucial that we added this much depth to the offensive line. So I'm a huge fan of this pick. He kind of reminds me a little bit of Robert Hunt in terms of he's a road grader. He's a powerful guard. Um, he's not a guy that's going to, you know, <laughs> be very productive when he is up against a quicker pass rusher. But I think on the interior, he's really going to help out with the running game. So I was a huge fan of this pick. And similar to Austin Jackson, the Dolphins went out and they got someone who does have a lot of experience in starting. Uh, 32 starts at guard at Georgia, 6'3", 340. He's got the size. He does. With that being said, though, he did have an up and down career at Georgia. He's going to be another project for the Dolphins. But I do like this pick. I don't like it as much as I do with the other linemen they drafted, Robert Hunt and even Austin Jackson. But I think for the value there and the amount he started at Georgia, I mean, heck, the guy was a lifeguard. I don't know if you saw Kirby Smart kind of talking about that, but uh, he was a lifeguard. He actually, in one of the first times they went out to Kirby Smart's lake, he had to save someone in the the water because they they weren't uh, swimming well or they maybe were drowning. He's not going to be a lifeguard on the team. But he's going to be a lifeguard to Tua, our future quarterback. You see how I did that there? Yeah, so that was nice. I, I like I, that was a nice little transition. <laughs> so I do like the pick overall, but it is going to be another project for this team. He is going to be someone who's going to need a lot of coaching up, and we're going to see where he fits. But overall, I do like the pick. He played over 2,000 snaps at Georgia. So playing time wasn't a problem for him. Um, I think it's a lot more when you talk about technique, coaching him up. Um, he's another one of those guys, though, that brings that attitude. He plays angry. He's known as a trash talker. So I think if you have him and Robert Hunt as your future guards, <laughs> that's going to be like that's going like to be it. fun to watch, bringing a little bit of attitude to the offensive line. So he was our first pick on day 3, and then they get their running back Mason, and I'm curious to see if this kind of eased your tensions a little bit. I know it did for a lot of Dolphins fans. They trade their 153rd pick, their round 5 pick for 49ers running back Matt Breida. 
I thought this was and, a huge move that really saved the fact that they didn't get a, a running back from day two. Oh yeah, it's it's it saved it for sure. And the interesting thing about this pick is this was the pick they got for the uh, Kenyon Drake trade, which is kind of ironic. And with everything going on with Kenyon Drake last year, it did not seem like, and he was even vocal about it, Drake You know was, what's even crazier though, Mason? It was the pick that they traded to the Cardinals for Rosen and then got back for Drake. <laughs> I like it. So you've been doing a deeper dive. I like that. So there was a lot going on with this pick. I like that. Thank you for making that extra connection to it. But Drake was vocal about the fact he was not re-signing with Miami. We were going to lose Drake anyway. Yeah. So essentially, this was like a Drake for Brita trade. So what does Brita bring to the team? Well, he brings speed. He brings a change of pace to Jordan Howard. And that is huge because that is what the Dolphins needed to do with this draft. They had to find a running back who is proven in college or now proven in the NFL for what Breida did, averaging, I think, five yards per carry for his career. Yeah, He's going to bring that change of pace. He's going to bring that speed factor. If he can stay healthy, I think he's going to be a tremendous upgrade to this offense for next season. That is something they had to have. I was harping on running back more than you were in this draft, but they had to go into training camp. They had to go into next season with another element at running back. They couldn't say this is going to be the Jordan Howard and the Balazs show. That I mean, that's not going to get you excited. It's not going to work in the NFL. But yep. Matt Breida is going to bring a different dimension to this team. So for the fifth round alone, that right there made that round for me. But the Dolphins also got two defensive players rally. I know you're really excited about one of them. They got Jason Strawbridge out of UNC, and they got Curtis Weaver out of Boise State. Tell me what you think about that. So let's break them down one by one. We have Strobridge coming out of North Carolina, uh, defensive lineman. He's a little bit of a tweener, Mason. So I'm not really sure how versatility. Gonna, yeah, I mean, versatility. He, yeah, he brings he brings versatility. He's more of a four three type of defensive end. So it's going to be interesting to see how the Dolphins utilize him in their defensive concepts. But he plays with exceptional effort. He's another one of those guys that you can see fitting into the Brian Flores um, attitude on defense. He projects as a rotational first and second down type of defensive end. He's very effective at holding the edge against the run, but he doesn't bring as much in terms of um, in terms of a pass rush. But I think this move right here puts Charles Harris directly on notice. I think his days are numbered in Miami. So we'll see how Jason Strobridge, they made a lot of moves at the defensive line, particularly on the ends this offseason. So we'll see how he fits into the rotation, but he's another one of those guys to add a little bit of depth to the defensive line. So I like the move there. I agree. And just kind of moving on to that, Curtis Weaver out of Boise State is probably my third favorite pick in this draft. I know you like him a lot too. 2019 Defensive Player of the Year in the Mountain West Conference, 13 and a half sacks. He's a sack machine. But what I really like about him is how he can play a variety of roles, just like yep. Strobridge, but just more effective. He's going to be a versatile player on this defense. He can play outside linebacker. He can play defensive end. He can even drop into coverage too. I really like this pick a lot. Curtis Weaver, I think he's someone who's going to make a name for himself on this team. Maybe not next year, but in the future, he's going to be someone who can really play a lot of different positions. He's a steal of the draft, Mason. Bottom line, in my opinion, he's a steal of the draft. I think when we look back on this draft, he's going to be the Rashad Jones of this draft, a guy that you get later in the draft and eventually he's going to be a starter. Too soon. Too defense. soon with the Rashad Jones talk, man. <laughs> Too soon. 
But at Boise, you mentioned he dropped back into coverage quite a bit. Mason, he's the Mountain West all-time leader in sacks. I mean, this guy produced when he was at Boise State. He's got good instincts, good closing um, closing speed to finish plays. He's technically sound. I mean, he was projected as a top 80 to 100 player in this draft, and we got him with the 164th pick. This is probably behind two of my favorite pick of the draft. Absolute yeah, it's steal. either my, yeah, it's either my second or third favorite pick. Um, I really like the Robert Hunt pick, but it's it, to get someone of this caliber in the fifth round, someone who can really come and play. I, I like that a lot. Now the sixth round, Riley, <laughs> the sixth round pick. Oh boy, here we go. And and Blake Ferguson, 185th overall. As as I'm waiting for this pick, actually watching the draft, I'm thinking to myself, man. It's been a long time since the Dolphins have drafted a skill player on the offensive side of the ball in this draft. And I was thinking to myself, the guy out there I really want, I don't know if you can guess who this is, but wide receiver out of SMU, Prochet, one of the most targeted wide receivers in the country, elite hands. He is someone who can come in and really, and I know we have like 10 or 11 wide receivers right now, but he is really someone who can come in and make an impact from day one I was getting pretty excited for this. They take a long snapper. I just this is <laughs> this is like Mason. You know what this is like? It's like in fantasy football when you take a kicker with like four picks to go. You just don't do it. You wait till the last round. I'm not really sure why they felt the need. Now this isn't a knock on Blake Ferguson. He's very good at what he does. I mean, oh, he's he the best a, in the country. Yeah, he was the best in the country when he was at LSU. He was a four year starter, nation's best long snapper. Um, and they, you know, right after the right after the draft, they waived last year's long snapper, Tabor Pepper. So Blake Ferguson has the job. It's his job. But I just don't get why he had to do it in the sixth round. Like, was he a commodity that you thought would not be there with one of your two seventh round picks? I mean, just didn't make any sense Brian, to me. Tr- trust Brian Flores is all I can say. Trust his goal. Trust his plan. If you trust in him, this pick, we can let it slide. But... It, it, it's tough. It's tough to draft a long snapper in the sixth round when there's a lot of offensive and defensive positions that we need to add some depth to. Yeah. Um, but, you know, this is someone who is essentially the best long snapper in the country last year in college football. He played 52 straight games. He was a team captain. So he does bring in that charisma to the locker room. He does bring in that uh, leadership quality, which is very, very important too. Um, so with that being said, I'm excited they got someone who is a top tier at their position and long snapper position. I'll tell you what we joke around about it, but it is one of the most important positions in football, um, punting field goals, all that stuff. You have to have someone who's going to put the ball where it needs to go. But in the sixth round, whew, they, they, they could have went a lot of different directions there. It was, it was, it was a very surprising pick. And then Riley to wrap it up. This was a, a dark horse favorite pick of mine in the draft, maybe because there had been nine straight picks without an offensive skill player, but in the seventh round, 246th pick, they get the senior quarterback slash running back slash wide receiver, Malcolm Perry out of Navy. He was 2019's AAC offensive player of the year. This guy screams versatility. Oh yeah. Let's just call him Malcolm Perry offensive weapon out of Navy. Because when you look at this, his career stats at Navy, 
he rushed, I mean, they run the triple option there, so you're going to expect huge rush numbers here as the quarterback, but he ran for over 4,000 yards. He had 470 receiving yards, 43 touchdowns from scrimmage. He threw for 10 more with over 1,300 yards. So this guy does a little bit of everything. Now he's really undersized. He's a small guy, 5'9", 190. But, I mean, in the seventh round pick, you're kind of just throwing darts and hope that you find something here. But, you know, it's not a pick that you want to just throw away. If you think about successful seventh round picks in the past, you're looking at guys like Julian Edelman, TJ Hushmanzada, Marquise Colston, uh, Brock Marion, who was a pro bowler for Miami. Love I mean, Brock, baby. Yeah, Love finished Brock. his career with 31 picks. So Donald Driver. I mean, there there's a lot of seventh round picks out there that become contributors major contributors for their team. So it's not a pick that you just throw away. The Dolphins had two of them, and I think it's worth mentioning. They traded one to the Seahawks for a six-round pick next year. So Greer was able to kind of finagle that and get a six-rounder next year. But, yeah, I mean, at this at this stage in the game, you just want guys. And you know coming from Navy, you're going to get a high-character guy too. But you just want to get guys that are versatile. They can do a lot of things. Maybe not one thing extremely well, but they can come in and they're just football players. So you can find multiple ways to use them. So I think it's definitely out of all the seventh round picks that you looked at, it's one of the ones that jumps out at you. So I was actually very excited about um, this pick of Malcolm Perry. So we went through the draft picks. We kind of talked about our overall draft stance, what we feel like, Riley. I know you're not a big fan of this and I'm not really either, but if you had to give the Dolphins a letter grade, and this is extremely early on. We haven't been to camp yet. We haven't done any type of football, putting the pads on. But if you had to simply give the Dolphins a grade on what they accomplished, what their strategy was, because it was very evident what their strategy was, yeah. what would you give them? I'd give them a solid B+. And that's going to go up to an A+, plus if, if Tua turns out to be what we all think and hope he's going to be. Because yeah, I, yeah. they took a lot of projects, which we've talked about, a lot of guys with raw talent, but the upside of this draft, if you, so if you go into a draft, Mason, typically, if you hit on 50% of your picks, you've had a good draft. If 50% of the guys that you bring in from a draft class become solid contributors on your football team, that was a good draft class. So if they bring in and they get six or seven of these guys to be solid contributors and some of these guys with high upside to take their game to the next level, it's a home run draft. So right now it sits because there are some question marks for me, it's kind of like a B-plus range, but this could easily go down as one of the best drafts the Dolphins have ever had if these pieces work out. Yeah, Tua really is the key, like you said. I'm, I would probably give it a solid B. The fact that they stuck with their strategy, I respect them for that, and I respect Brian Flores for what he has done with his organization so far in his short coaching career. The fact that as bad as the team looked last year, he didn't give up on them. And I just like the fact that they had a strategy. They went into this draft taking their offensive tackles, taking the defensive linemen, the best ones they feel like are going to put them in a situation. There's a lot of projects on this team. There's a lot of projects in this draft class that they picked. But the biggest thing is going to be at the end of the day is can Tua deliver? Can he immerse himself in this offense and in this team to when he's not only ready to play, but when the team is ready for him to be out there on the field, will he succeed? I say a solid B by the Dolphins, though. I like a lot of these picks. Some of them, I kind of, you know, is it going to work out or not? But I do appreciate and respect the way that Brian Flores and Chris Greer are drafting. And if you trust in them, then this is a good draft for you. I think if you're a Dolphins fan, 
you should be very excited about the direction that this team is going. Regardless on what you think about some of the draft, if you looked at it from the offseason free agent moves to the draft overall, it's an exciting time to be a Dolphins fan. I've never, I mean, it's been a decade at least since the Dolphins have had this much buzz around them going into a season. And this much, the word, we've used it quite a bit in our previous episodes, the word hope. I mean, right at the quarterback position, we have not had this much hope in a quarterback in a long time. So the fact that you got your guy at five, I don't care if they whiffed on every other one of these draft picks here. If Tua works out, then you win the draft. You're telling me you didn't have this much hope in Chad Henney? No, I remember us talking about it many times. You were a Chad Henney guy. I remember that. (laughs) Now, I'm not going to say I was a Chad Henney guy more hope than Tua, but yes, I I was a Chad Henney guy. Listen, after you go through so many quarterbacks, you start get, to get delusional a little you bit. You try to talk yourself into them. We've all you try been to talk there. yourself into it. But I do honestly believe we're not talking ourselves into Tua. We know his talent. We know his ability. Take your time, Miami, with Tua. It'll come when it comes. Yep. Do not rush him. Get excited, Miami Dolphins fans. And I'm excited to keep this show going. So we're going to release this one this week. And I think moving forward, we're going to start releasing a couple episodes a week, Mason. Like I mentioned at the beginning of the show, we got our social media rolling. Check us out at Finit to Win It. We're on Facebook, Twitter, and you can catch us on any podcast platform and bluewirepods.com. For Mason Inglehart, I'm Riley Bradshaw. We'll see you all next week. Fins up, everybody. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in a new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series now streaming on Showtime.